0: Welcome to Access Utah. Welcome to 2018. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to explore all things tech today with Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group in Logan. One of the topics we're going to discuss is by listener request. We had a request to examine new rules set by the FCC on net neutrality and how those new rules may affect you. We'll certainly talk about that. We'll talk about regulating tech. We'll talk about privacy, the right to be forgotten. We'll ask how best to keep our data secure. Always a concern. We'll talk about the Bitcoin bubble. We'll review today's headlines, including the arms race between repressive governments and protesters using the latest in social media. And we'll ask Jonathan what's got him excited in this new year in tech. So Jonathan Choate uh, joins us uh, again. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. Jonathan Choate, uh, for people who don't know, people who are not in the Cash Valley area, uh, one interesting uh, tidbit, uh, a base in the American Festival Chorus. Uh, That is, yes, that's, if you couldn't tell from listening to me, I do have a fairly low voice. (laughs) The lowest bass. And usually standing at the very back. Always on the back row. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of his interests. Another interest, and in, in fact, his profession, tech. And so we turn to him often with uh, tech issues. Let's jump into net neutrality. The FCC recently set new rules, reversing rules that had been in place long term when codified under the uh, the uh, uh, Obama administration. So, first of all, define net neutrality. Okay. So, and
1: this is this is the difficulty here because I don't think most people understand net neutrality as a concept is one thing as opposed to the ruling that the FCC put in in 2015. So the rules for common carrier have been around for a long time. It was in 2015 that the FCC ruled that internet carrier or that ISPs, internet service providers w- could be regulated under common carrier common carrier status. So that changed the previous rulings and allowed them to put in a number of controls that had not been in place. So this is not something that was around for the creation and development of the internet. So it's only been in place for less than three years, two and a half years roughly. I don't remember exactly when they put the ruling in. Um, so the concept of net neutrality is, is that the all of the data that travels over the internet and over networks in general is in a packet. So your data is encapsulated inside this packet and it has a header and a footer that essentially define where it's going, what type of data it is, and then the data is capsulated inside this. Think of it like a, a letter. The envelope is the is the header. You can see what's on there. You can see the address. You can see who it came from, but you can't actually see the contents of the packet, except you, you can unless they're encrypted, at which point that information is sealed in where you can't see it. So we have these packets flying around, uh, but what we don't have is any way to differentiate whose packet has priority over another. And that was basically what net neutrality says is as you're a carrier, you can't differentiate whose packet gets priority over another, over which type of packet. All traffic is neutral, um, which means you can't, as an ISP, you can't block certain sites. You can't do certain things like that, Um, and as a concept, it's something we can generally get behind. Hey, I don't want my ISP to choose what content I can see. But at the same time, and this is the the devil's always in the details. If you don't allow your carrier, the person who's handling that packet, if all mail were treated the same, then I can't get my two-day shipping from Amazon. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't do next-day air. I can't also send book rate. So the variations in the speed and priority of the contents of a package is actually an important thing because all data is not valued the same. If I spent the, the majority of data that actually flows is streaming services, uh, you know, at, and the numbers are old, but at some point a few years ago in the evening during peak times in the United States... Netflix alone, not including other streaming services, streaming services accounted for more than 50% of all bandwidth in the United States. So if you add YouTube and other streaming providers and music, et cetera, we're talking the vast majority of data is streaming. Now, streaming services require bandwidth. They require lots of, uh, think of them like a truck. They need to carry a lot of data, but they don't necessarily need to be high performance. But we have other traffic out there, such as uh, real-time communications. If I want to have a voice call with somebody, the time it takes for my packet to go from me to to the other person and back, the time is much more important than the volume. So when we create a rule that says all traffic must be neutral, and as a carrier, I'm not allowed to make any judgments as to which one gets priority over another then what we do is we take away the ability to actually provide a better service. We take away the ability to say, ISP, I'm willing to pay you more because I need a high-quality voice channel that's going to not have delay. That I know no matter what time of day, no matter what kind of load is out there, my packet is going to get there quickly and efficiently and back, and we can have solid communications. Uh, If anybody uses home VoIP services uh, and you have limits to your internet connection that are and you know people are streaming things and your voice quality goes down as the bandwidth goes down because there's no way that they have the ability to prioritize those things. Now that's not actually done very often. It's it's something that is being that's tried to be accomplished, but it's really hard to determine when there's no single referee out there that says, well this packet type gets priority over this and we have and carriers there's lots of different carriers so my packet starts with my ISP and then goes through an exchange and may go on one backbone provider before it goes to another backbone provider before it goes to one ISP and then back to the other sender so the handoff occurs with many different carriers so being able to prioritize that through its entire route has not really been effective in most cases we have to create special channels to allow those prioritized packets to go through so the things we want to do in many cases as a networker were not allowed under net neutrality rules, but at the same time they weren't really accomplishable either at this point in technology. So, this is a really really long-winded and overly complicated way of saying the net neutrality rules didn't do much for you and with them gone you're not going to really see any changes. The world will not end. We will not see mass zombie attacks as I have
0: seen intimated on many social media memes. Okay. So it's it's not going to have a huge effect because the 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 ability to right. prioritize has not been there. Um now, I have seen, you know, I haven't seen the mass zombie attacks. It, it, uh, with changes, you often have, uh, you know, Armageddon is coming. But I have seen, uh, you know, some seems to be reasonable worries from uh, opponents of of this new rule. So, for example, uh, could, uh, you know, Verizon, Comcast, or AT&T now block a website or a social media site that, that I wanted to get to? Th- that would block my access. And, yes, they could.
1: The question is... Why would they? Um, if anybody is likely to block a site, it's going to be government. That's what we have going on. I mean, it was one of our our later topics, but this kind of ties in. We have social media sites being to, shut down in Iran. We have governments who want to control the the flow of information because free information to a repressive regime is is not acceptable. You can't control your populace if you can't control the information. So it seems far more likely to me that you would have, once you cede control over the content to an organization like the FCC, um, then how do you, you've, you've now centralized that control. Yes, Comcast or Verizon or any number of other carriers, and there's many of them, could block a site. But we always have choices. And with some very rare exceptions of those in extremely rural areas where you've got things like HughesNet, um, you know, satellite providers. And in case in that case in point, there are multiple provi- satellite providers as well. We have choices. If we don't like what our ISP does, complain. If they still do it, go to somebody else. It may not be the service you want. Um, I can't get the service I want in my house. It's not available because of my location. That's, you know, my choice where I chose to live. If you don't like it, you need to pick somebody else. That's the way competition works. Yes, there are a few major providers that have large swaths of the Internet out there. That's very true. But none of them have a monopoly. The only one who had a
0: monopoly would have been the FCC. Hmm. Now, I do take your point. There are multiple providers... But its a handful, right? It's—it's it's a small number, and that's what—that's what the rationale was um, for for these uh, the r- rules before, right? Uh, that that it's kind of it's verging toward a monopoly because it's uh, so it should be re- re- regulated like public utility.
1: Um, yes, I see. I see that argument. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, there are multiple competing major backbone providers. There are well over a dozen, most of whom you've never heard of unless you're in the tech world. Most of the people, what we're talking about are the, the ISPs to the end user. We have things like Comcast or CenturyLink or uh, Cox Communications, um, uh, Verizon's Fios. Um, but there are, and it's very easy to, pro- to create, and I say easy uh, easy on a, a larger scale. You know, it's, it's hard to replace somebody like Comcast. But it's fairly easy to put up a local regional uh, carrier. You know, I can put up something like a Digis, or it, it's now called. Um, it used to be Digis. It was purchased, and I'm blanking on the name. Rise Broadband, something like that. Uh, you know, a few guys with a relatively small investment can put up in an area to provide service. Now that's done. At that nobody's going to bother to do that unless there's a call for it. If somebody has bad services, somebody's doing something, is it instant? No. you know That's not the way markets work. They're not going to instantly solve somebody's perceived problem. But if somebody is a continued offender, you can guarantee somebody's going to come out there to, to meet that need.
0: Here's, I mean, um, I'll do it. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> we, we've taken your offer in. Uh, By the way, we have Jonathan Choate with us from SD7 Technology Group in uh, Logan. We're talking about all things tech, and we've started with net neutrality, and you can join this conversation. hope that you will if you have uh, a question or comment. 800-826-1495 is the number, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I want to read this. Uh, So we've talked about... The possibility of a provider blocking certain content, and you've you've talked about that. Uh, you said it's it's uh, it's possible, but it, unlikely. It's a solution seeking a
1: problem because yeah. we don't really have any historical evidences of that occurring
0: outside of governments, right? And we'll get to talking about that, where governments are actually blocking sites. We'll get to talking about Iran and uh, other things as we go along with the, this hour. Uh, but here is, and I've heard this before, this is happens to be Jim Hightower, and I read this in the Logan Herald-Journal, a, a national columnist. So Jim Hightower says, here's the scheme out of the new the new rules rather than having one big broadband freeway open for transporting everyone's content the internet service monopolists intend to create a special system of high speed lanes for the richest producers of content this express lane will be made available to those who want to rush their content to the public leaving everyone else's jammed up in the slow lanes and so on the one hand uh, you say you know if you're on one side of the spectrum you say so what you you, you pay for what you get uh, the people are still getting their content I'll be it in slower lanes. On the other hand, this does uh, violate kind of the, the culture, right? We, we have wanted, in certain circles, to have the internet to be democratic, a democratic culture.
1: Well, we, we want it to be more like it's anarchistic. We don't want people to vote and say, well, other than voting with where we choose to go. But let's think about that for a minute. Uh, as I was talking about before, that's actually something from a technological perspective that we've been trying to accomplish for many years. Just like we want the ability to choose to say, I am willing to pay for next day air shipping because this is important that I get it in one day. Or I can choose to say, you know what, this really doesn't matter to me. I will choose the very cheapest method. The most expensive methods tend to subsidize the cheaper methods. So in, in, the re- in reality to the end user, again, we're only talking about small amounts of traffic. We have to understand the the scope of this potential problem. If I am a customer who needs quick response and I'm willing to pay for it, it would be nice if I had somebody who had the ability to provide me for that service. But we're not talking about saying we're going to have a few elites and then a bunch of serfs who get nothing but dregs. We're talking about small percentage changes in service, and we're talking about prioritization of packets, not which ones get to you, but whether they get there faster than another packet. And so that's something that from the perspective of, well, let's see. Let's say you use a service like Vonage. It's a good example of a home VoIP service. It's cheap. uh, It's relatively good service. But the problem with Vonage is when you have a lot of traffic, your packet gets lost in the jumble and your quality goes down. You'd get more dropped calls. you get the lower voice quality. It's not as reliable because there's no way to tell which packet is a Vonage packet and which packet is some other random Netflix packet. My Netflix packet does not need priority because it caches them. It brings them down. It's book rate mail. It gets lots of stuff gets sent out, but it doesn't really matter when it gets there. Uh, and everybody's thinking, but wait, I want my Netflix. Again, we're talking milliseconds here, people. This is um, your your book rate is plenty. You're going to get, you have, again, it's a volume issue rather than a speed issue. But if I had some way, if Vonage could say, you know what, if you sign up for this special service and pay eight bucks a month or more to your ISP, then the quality of my service is going to be much better. And that's something that they are going to want to partner with. ISPs to provide that improved service. It's an option. It's an option for better service, not a, if you don't pay us, your service goes down. That's not the way it works. Mm.
0: Uh, and that is a worry that's being expressed by some people. It's a worry that's being expressed. And, rule. I, yeah. and
1: again, I understand it as a worry from a technological standpoint, or standpoint, it's not a particularly valid worry. Mm. Yes, I can see a set of circumstances where it could happen, but it would be, in my opinion, very rare and probably more by accident than anything, you have the possibility there's the one case which led somewhat to the FCC rule was uh, Comcast and Netflix. And they were feuding. Ne- uh, Comcast wanted Netflix to pay a premium because they were half the Internet. <laughs> and That's not a joke. Half of the volume of the Internet. So they felt that, hey, well, we need to, they need to, they're, they're taking so much of the bandwidth we're providing, they should pay more for it. And there was a little arguing back and forth. And there is no evidence. There's some speculation that they slowed down Netflix traf- ne- traffic so that it became a little more buffering, things like that. Um, that's speculation. We don't really know for sure. In the end, they came to an agreement. And what happened is Netflix housed more stuff in Comcast's infrastructure rather than going through the exchanges, which is the smart technological choice anyway. If I'm a major provider, I want to exist in, inside all of these networks to be the most efficient. So they came to an agreement, and yes, there was potentially some things that affected customers during that time. But a resolution was found, and if anybody's got Comcast out there, I'll bet you don't have a problem streaming Netflix. Mm. And it was not the net neutrality ruling that did that. It was the fact that the customers Netflix wants to provide it as its product, and Comcast wants to provide a good service. Otherwise, you won't pay for what is a premium service. They're not the cheapest out there. If they're not getting good
0: service, you go somewhere else, they lose. I want to throw this out to listeners, especially in the rural areas. Um, Jonathan made reference to this. That your, your choices may be fewer in rural that's, areas. That's very true. I'm, i Jonathan, I am in a still, rural area, yeah, so still I'm, still have uh, sufficient choices. I think, uh, according to you, Jonathan, I'd, I'd like to know from you if you're uh, in a rural area uh, how things are going with uh, with your with internet service uh, provider and uh, and and uh, and wh- what you do. And the number is eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. Or you can uh, email me to upraxcess at gmail.com. dot to know how how these things are affecting you especially just general tech not necessarily net neutrality but maybe what your worries are or or, or how things are for you right now with uh, with tech how you're receiving your tech in rural areas UPR access at gmail.com upr at gmail.com so before we go on to take a break let Jonathan go on to other things Bottom line, I hear you saying, is net neutrality new rules not going to affect you that much? Not going to change anything. Okay.
1: Uh, Mainly because there wasn't really enough time to have it be changed in the first place. that's, That's the reality of it. The net neutrality rulings came in, but nothing has actually changed because nobody was really doing anything anyway. All it did is say you can't. Uh, so certain innovations were stopped. Certain in, in, infrastructure investments were stopped. But overall, nothing changed with the ruling, and nothing is going to continue to change with the new
0: ruling. Yeah, that's the rationale of the people who wanted the new rules. Ajit Pai, uh, new ch- the chairman of the FCC, said um, that this is this is why it little free up innovation. Yes, is, is what, why he wanted to push this through. By the way, went through on a party line vote, which is often happens at the FCC. Pretty, pretty polarized, yes. as with many things in, in government. government. Well, let's uh, let's take a break, and uh, when we come back, I want to talk about Iran. We're just hearing this morning uh, about. Um, the, the And this happens all over the world, repressive regimes, we um, get protesters, protesters organized through social media, the government shuts down certain sites, uh, then the, the it's an arms race, and so we'll see see where things are. We'll talk about that, and uh, we'll talk about the Bitcoin bubble, talk about data security, and uh, we'll talk about many other things. We're talking about all things tech on the program today with Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group in Logan. More following this break. You're listening to Access Time, Tom Williams We're th- talking about all things tech here at the beginning of 2018. Jonathan Chote is our guest. He's a tech expert. He uh, that's his profession. He's with SD Seven Technology Group in Logan, and uh, and an interest of his as well. Of course, anything, all things are interesting to Jonathan. And uh, so that I wear a few different hats. we uh, wear a few different hats. <laughs> so we'd, we'd love to have him in. Um, you can respond to the program. We're talking about. We have been talking about uh, net neutrality. We're going to get talking about. Uh, government control of the internet and social media We talk about the bitcoin bubble data security and how we can keep our uh, data secure we talk about privacy as well and uh, much more and you can reach us at 800-826-1495 or by email to upraxcess at gmail.com and uh, betty has uh, called us Uh, betty glad you called to go ahead with your question or comment
2: yeah, good morning. Um, I'm in rural, uh, rural Washington County, and uh, satellite is my only option. Uh, had uh, some crazy company when we first came here, and then they morphed into HughesNet, And then when um, uh, my DISH uh, network uh that they could provide Internet as well as television, I went with them so that I could get a bundle, you know, and all that sort of thing. Well, just recently, they talked me into, because of greater speed, um, to switch back to HughesNet. Um, the first thing, the first experience I had was um, over the weekend, uh, my Internet went out, and I could not reach... Net. I've always had excellent, excellent uh, customer service from Dish Network, whether for internet or television problems. And now here I am, stuck with people that either let everybody go home for New Year's or their system was down. And I haven't called them today. It came back on its own. I mean, I did all the... You know the unplugging Re- it, and the yeah, yeah. resetting and the, all the all the little fixes you're supposed to do which did not work and uh, it, but it did come back um, but I you know I feel trapped I feel I mean I used to live I didn't live in St George but I lived in a in a city where um, i I never had to worry about anything and now Because of your guest said, I made a choice to live in the country. But I sure didn't realize at the time that it would mean so much to not being able to have the same things that people in the city have, like streaming. I cannot stream anything.
1: Yeah, satellite internet is a very different game than any other kind because you're talking about a single entry point in orbit. <laughs> so the amount of data that can flow is much more confined than any other uh, any other type of internet. I mean it's great in that it's a possibility. I mean you can get some email, you can have some basic communications, you can do your shopping uh, you know uh, but just like anything, nothing's perfect. A single provider go, I mean Comcast goes down on a relatively regular basis. Uh, I don't like it. it happens and I, I feel for you that you're one of your first experiences you had an outage. Um, I think for the most part, Usenet is. I don't have much personal experience with them. I've never used them extensively myself. I have had customers who use them, um, that you, what, yeah, that's what you have to understand. If you are so far out that there are, there's no, you know, there's only a few houses within your geographical area, uh, that would be able to sustain, Uh, somebody coming in and putting a tower and running a line, there's a large infrastructure investment to it. You know, if I want to run... So I'm in Wellsville, which is just in Cache Valley, but it's, you know, it's 10 minutes out of Logan. Uh, It's rural, but it's not super rural. And as such... Well, I'm the
2: same. I'm the same. I'm not super, super rural, but uh, it's interesting. A new tower of some kind, I haven't quite figured out what it is yet, has been built about four miles south of me, in the little community of Veo, okay. mm-hmm. and uh, I doubt I can get a signal from them because I'm down in a valley.
1: And and that's but, that's the issue. Wireless always has geographical limitations. You've got to have a line yeah. of sight between where you're at. Now there are ways to over if, when it's important enough. There's ways to overcome it. I've had new. I have, I have a customer who was in a little valley, um, totally isolated. Couldn't even get a cell phone signal. But a mountain that they were next to. Had a nice line of sight into a town, so we put a tower up on the mountain. It broadcast to another tower that was in, that uh, was on a building that somebody there owned. We were able to broadcast the signal and rebroadcast it down into this area. We were able to provide internet. Was it the best? No. Did it work? Yes. And, it's a major money. investment and money. Yeah. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was not mm-hmm. cheap to do. We're yeah. talking about a solar powered tower on a mountain, mm-hmm. not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the point. Well. And, in order to bring it into when, an area, somebody when they has to invest.
2: this Newest HughesNet uh, dish on the on the uh, edge of the roof. They can't climb on the roof anymore. Do you know that?
0: Mm. Oh, the, yeah, it's you, a, you a, a liability issue. issue. Liability yeah. will, not, yeah. will
2: not allow their installers to get up on the roofs anymore. Mm. But um, somebody somebody fell down and ruined it for him. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's usually the, That's the way it works. Yeah. Cynical. Um, but, uh, so he had a hard time, you know. He had a hard time because of trees and because mm-hmm. of all these things finding the right uh, right path. And suggested I build a tower, and I said, "Look mm-hmm. at me! I don't <laughs> have a little bit of money you, here. You don't have. One. I just want. I just want my uh, my internet." So yeah, but uh, Buddy, you know, one but one. Thank you. I uh, just wanted to to cr- cringe a little bit as okay. they say, "Okay, and, thank you, uh, Buddy." We're we're dealing with it. I am going to call him and ask him why they weren't in the phone.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. That'll be later. All right, Betty, thanks for sharing your experience uh, there in rural Utah. Sure. appreciate that. You're welcome. All right. And I'd uh, love to hear from you as well, especially your experience in rural uh, areas, uh, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. And so you have personal experience with this, Jonathan. Betty illustrates that uh, she moved to the country. There are a lot of, uh, well, country, you know, 10 yeah. miles outside of uh, the city, but moved to a rural area, but there's a lot of great things about it, but you have to consider that uh, yeah. And this also illustrates that internet and connectivity is, has become very important. It's, it's very important to us. I
1: completely agree. I mean, it's something that if you're going to move out into the country, it's for me, because I've actually been looking at various properties in rural areas. The first thing is, well, what kind of internet do I have around here? Because I'm in it, work in technology. If I don't have internet, then it's a big problem for me. If that's a sacrifice you can make and go out into the middle of nowhere and all you can get is satellite, I can't do that. Uh, my work doesn't allow it. But great if you can. But that's something that it's a choice we're making to do that. We can't expect the same level of service because the technology behind it just doesn't exist. We don't have the ability to communicate that those packets, that data, in the same way we do under a hardwire in a concentrated area. It's simply too expensive to maintain the equipment, and so. Why would we expect to be provided a service that costs many times what we're paying for it in order to get it?
0: We have another uh, person in a rural area, uh, Len. I think is he, that's your name, Len, in the Uinta Basin. Uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Oh,
3: uh, this is Glenn.
0: Oh, Glenn. Oh, Glenn. Okay. Hi, hi, Glenn. <laughs> How are you doing? How
3: are you? Doing well. I'm doing good. I, I just want to comment. We have uh, a rural. Electric, well, what was it? The, it was a New Deal thing, is all I can say. Socialism, government socialism. We have a, a cooperative phone company out here, and I'm actually uh, 15 miles outside of Roosevelt, and I have we have fiber fiber connection in my house. There's a neighborhood of about five people in this area because we're close to a big oil field office. I think that's part of it. So we mm-hmm. yeah, have really good out, good connections out here. But my comment would be more for the net neutrality whereas I think that uh, there needs to be a referee in the game to some extent to kind of control some of the abuses because, you know, you get the biggest 800-pound gorilla in the game or a monopolistic situation, even if it's regional, you end up with a problem. Uh, You know, LeBron James could take over the NBA if there was no referees in the game. So when he plays in Florida or he plays in Cleveland or he plays in Seattle, he has the same set of rules that apply to him, despite the fact that every team has its own... You know, basic monopoly, and, and so I think the net neutrality thing was probably a really good idea. And I kind of wonder if the reason to get a, uh, get away from it was partly because some of the growth opportunities have either become too expensive or they have really run out of options. And this is the next level to keep the stock prices high and the you know the growth happening at least financially for a while. But it seems like it's just a temporary fix for these companies, and maybe even a kind of a negative have a negative impact overall with their social credit, if, if that makes sense. Uh, Glenn,
1: let me let me address some of the analogies that you're using, and maybe reshape it in a different light. Um, so you're talking about Lebr- LeBron James in the NBA, but we've got to think of it more not basketball teams competing because it's in their interest to have parity. If somebody always wins, it's not an in, it's not an interesting game to watch. But think of it more the competition of various sports leagues in general. Major League Soccer, National Football League, NBA, hockey, etc. Those are the things we're talking about. We're talking about competition on that level rather than one team to another. That those teams are, the NBA is Comcast. Verizon is the NFL. So they have a vested interest in trying to get the most number of people watching them or being on their service. And I want you to think about in your particular situation, you've explained to me where you have fiber, even though there's five houses in a rural community outside a small city. The reason you have it is because somebody was willing to come in and pay for that infrastructure. You have an oil field out there who wanted fiber. They were willing to put that investment in infrastructure. And you, as a homeowner in a relatively rural area, were able to benefit from that because they put the line in, because it was worth it for them, you get to tie into it.
3: I I think I benefited early for that because of the oil field, but in general, the entire company is trying to, and they are avidly, they've been doing this since the late 90s, they've been avidly putting fiber networks.
1: Now, are you you on Utopia? Are you on the Utopia project?
3: No, I I, I don't know the technical side, but our our company is called Strata, Strata Networks, and they used to be a rural cooperative formed in the 1930s during the new deal and they just carried that tradition on they've actually grown i think they're one of the largest cooperative communications providers uh in the country but and, you know they're very regional very you based huh. oriented
1: and so yes yeah, strata is not going to be able to provide service in new jersey that's not the issue Correct. but what you're illustrating is that there, are, there is the ability for people to get services into rural areas through co- cooperatives. Now, a cooperative isn't socialism because it's all voluntary. You have a group of people who are choosing to. About the only place we ever get monopolies is where they are enforced. And the only person who can enforce them is government. So I'm always a little leery to say government is going to protect my right to something when they're actually the one who generally is the cause of most of the monopolies. Why do you only have one cable provider in a city? Well, because there's a monopoly on it and it's an enforced monopoly. The cities only have one license to give out. They give it up to one provider. Now they can, they can lose that license. They get changed to another provider, but it's only one at a time. That's an enforced monopoly. And it's not the cable provider that is the monopoly. It's the city that's the monopoly over who's allowed to lay lines in their city.
3: Yeah. And I, well, you know, I, I if I buy natural gas from our provider, I, nobody's going to come in and try to compete with them and put a new set of pipelines in. So they technically have a uh, just a, a, an infrastructural monopoly because they're there already. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how you have to look at these cable people. And, you know, if, if my natural gas provider decides they want to raise rates they have to go before a public utilities commission in the state of utah and, and kind of put a case forward to say hey we need this because of this 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 circumstances we're in and ours has been pretty good and they've actually lowered their rates over the years but uh the same with electrical and everything else i, I so i i hate to fall into the trap of saying we need to enforce that monopoly we also need to Uh, That's where my referee analogy kind of comes into the game. You need somebody standing over there saying, hey, look, you know, you can do this. And I hate to cut people's ability to make money and make a profit, because why are we in this any business at all if it's not to earn a living or a profit or anything? But by the same token, you know, the 800-pound gorilla can enforce his will. You know, the term railroading came in because there was only one set of railroad lines coming into most areas, and that person controlled the the commerce and basically controlled the eastern half of the country for the longest time before the West was able to really get into that. And, uh, you know, I'm a history major, USU, go Aggies. Uh, but <laughs> go all right. Right. anyway, uh,
0: that, yes. that's my point. And, okay. the, Thanks, Glenn. Yeah. Let, me, let me put you on pause, sure. uh, Jonathan. Thank thank you, Glenn, for the, for that. Uh, we do have an email from Steve who's going to take up this uh, idea of monopoly, and then I'll have you respond okay. in general. Okay, great. Uh, but, Glenn, uh, good luck out there with, with Strata. I'm glad you got the fiber out there.
3: Thank you. You guys have a great day. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Glenn.
0: Thank you, Glenn. Um, So here is uh, Steve's email. Uh, He says, I've not heard the discussion so far except for a couple of fragments, so I hope my point is not redundant. He goes on to say, net neutrality in the U.S. comes down to one thing, monopoly power. In most of the rest of the world, there's a real market of Internet providers, which consumers can choose uh, among. Thus, providers must compete in the classic market sense, and they're incentivized to provide the best and fastest service for their customers. Not so in the U.S., says Steve, where Internet monopolies have such powerful suasion in Washington state capitals and state capitals that there's no market competition, but ISPs have carved out local and regional monopolies for themselves. Need evidence of this unfair political power? Witness the fact that Congress made it perfectly legal for ISPs to spy on their customers that uh, is you and me and sell our private information for a profit. Witness also Republican FCC's abolition of internet neutrality rules themselves which you're discussing this morning. And because unlike elsewhere in the world American ISPs do enjoy this unfavorable monopoly power that is to say there is no competition imposing market discipline among them upon them without regulatory constraint there is nothing at all to stop them from abusing both internet con- consumers and internet providers alike. In fact in their lobbying to abolish internet neutrality they more or less telegraphed that this is precisely their intention. By the way, this hurts not only consumers like you and me, but also serious impediment to in- innovation, as large established companies will be able to afford to pay to have their content speeded up, while much smaller startups will not be able to afford to. That's uh, Steve. So, Steve, in
1: some of those points we have addressed, and I appreciate your your email, I disagree with the, the underlying premise of the question. I don't believe that with the exception of where it is government-enforced, that we have a monopoly on ISPs in the United States. Yes, we have a number of major providers, but with some rare exceptions of highly rural areas, uh, there is always more than one choice. Even in Wellsville, where I'm at, there are multiple choices. In my case, I made my own choice. (laughs) I wasn't happy with the ones that were there, so I did some special things. I'm a network guy. I won't go into detail, but my internet at my house is a little different than everywhere else because the, that's the nature of the technology. It's an open technology. Packets flow where they're going to flow. Um, you're, uh, there, there's several. I want to make sure I'm tr- covering all these points here. So from that premise, what we were just talking about with Glenn using an example is, um, is uh, natural gas lines. Yes, we can't have and nobody is going to run a whole bunch of competing natural gas lines. But what we're talking about there is the last, what we consider the last mile. What we do have is a huge amount of competition in who produces natural gas and how it's transported. We have pipelines, we have ships, we have trucks. We have all sorts of different methods of moving it before it gets to where it comes in that last mile. Most of the arguments we have over here are over the last mile. The internet as itself has many different companies within the United States and, of course, many others outside the United States. Most of the areas you're talking about, when you say most of the world, you're actually not talking about most of the world. You're talking about some Western European countries, others that have gotten it later. One of the reasons we have monopolies in things like cable providers is because we were the first to have them. The technology was new. We weren't used to running those kind of lines. We didn't have the infrastructure to handle multiple competing signals. The technology is not the same as it was in the 70's and 80's when most of those cable lines were run. Things are different. We have wireless spectrum. We have all sorts of things that will allow actual competition through, very, not just different cable companies, but different forms of transmission. The fact that you can get that I can get better internet on my phone driving down the highway by 50 times than 15 years ago I was able to get in my office is not, that goes to show that we have had massive improvements and investment in in infrastructure by private companies. This was not government that did it. So what your your argument, in, in my opinion, is you're saying, because we don't have competition, we need regulation. I would counter that by saying, what we need is competition. Rather than saying, well, we can't have competition, therefore we need to regulate. There are certain circumstances, like I say, a natural gas line, you can't have a whole bunch of lines popping into your house. You can't have a whole bunch of competing electrical grids within a city. There, has to, there are some limitations where physical things don't allow us to have as much competition as we want. And that's going to require some minimum level of regulation in order to ensure that there is competition. The reality is, for the most part... Internet does not fall under that. We have cellular signals. We have wireless signals. We have fiber we can come in. We have telephone line types. We have uh, coaxial line types. There's lots of different technologies out there. I mean, there's people working on drone-based internet, balloon-based internet. We have satellite-based internet. We have lots of ways of transmitting that data. Now, some of them are technologically superior in certain circumstances. Right now, fiber is the best Cable is the second best because the technology allows more data to flow through. That's the nature of that medium. Other mediums are going to come out, and there's lots of fiber providers out there. There's lots of dark fiber. It comes down to that we, we need to have competition. We need to have people willing and able to c- compete with the big guys. We don't do that through regulation. That's not historically how it works. Regulation entrenches the big providers because the big providers are able to meet the regulatory demands easier than new players in the market. So, and there's a lot to that, and it's a long discussion, and I can't hit every point, but.
0: Let me just, a couple more points. Steve has written back in, and you can as well, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Would love to get your question or comment on this topic, net neutrality and anything uh, tech. And this question I've thrown out, uh, how how are things going for you in rural areas, and how's your service, and what are your concerns? But uh, Steve's written back in, said, uh, more evidence that uh, American ISPs have unique monopoly power. Uh, America is has among the slowest internet speeds in the world because in other countries, the ISPs are not monopolies as they are in the United States. Well, again, I
1: disagree with the premise that they are a monopoly. Uh, you, yes, you can look at other first world countries like South Korea has some of the best internet in the world. You have to compare South Korea to like uh, a metropolitan area. It's the size of the Wasatch Front, basically. You can't compare average speeds with a highly dense, small country, and the vast expanse that is the United States. There are areas in the United States that have internet that competes with anybody else in the world, because the concentration of people allows for that level of infrastructure to be developed. But what we have is we don't just have highly concentrated internet. We have choices all over the place. We have it from you know, high speed, high cost, but, you know, fiber connections. We have lower cost fiber connections and we have satellite that you can get out in the woods in Montana or Wyoming or Utah for that matter. So we have lots of choices out there. And yes, if we look in aggregate, well, it's slow compared to South Korea, but we're not, it, it's it's an apples to oranges comparison. Um, we have good internet, especially if you make the choice of where you want to live If Internet's that important, you've got to live somewhere that it's technologically feasible to deliver those kind of speeds. Yes, if I'm in Seoul, which is half the population of South Korea, which is, again, slightly bigger than the Wasatch Front here, that's a very different scenario of how I'm going to deploy and develop that technology than Utah. Seoul has, what, 25, 30 million people. We've got 3 million in our whole state that's much bigger than their country. We cannot expect to have the same Type of internet, it's it's not technologically feasible. The infrastructure costs are too vast to try to compete at that same level. We have to realize because of the choice we make to be in a more rural area, and I say that meaning the entire state, not just you know Washington County or somewhere like that. The state is considered you know it's a rural area. We make that choice to be here. There's trade-offs. If internet was all I was concerned about, then yes, you could live somewhere like Seoul or Tokyo or one of these other areas that are highly dense. They also had the advantage of adopting these technologies after much of the infrastructure was put in the United States because we paid the cost of developing it and creating it. It was built here. The underlying technologies were here, and much of the infrastructure that was laid here first is older. And most of that's been replaced, but we're still somewhat dependent upon that. They have the option of jumping in with later generation gear right from the get-go.
0: We need to take another break, and then when we come back, I want to do some fast hits on some of these other uh, topics that we have been promising that we would talk about. Uh, So I'll I'll just give Steve the last word uh, in this uh, this segment. Uh, He has emailed back in and said and has said not just South Korea has faster internet speeds than the U.S., but the majority of foreign countries do. That's uh, Steve's uh, rebuttal. (laughs) So let's uh, move move on, to, and I'll give you a chance to respond very quickly to that after the break, uh, Jonathan. Uh, We'll talk about much more. I want to get to the Bitcoin bubble. I want to get to Iran and uh, as many things as we can in a very short last segment following this break. Thanks for listening to Access U-Time, Tom Williams. We're talking about all things tech. At least that's what we promised at the beginning of the program. And uh, happily, uh, uh, it's it's been a nice <laughs> that's discussion. That's the way it always is. It it's goes been, where it goes. It's been the it's been a nice discussion on net neutrality, and we appreciate everyone who has responded. You can still respond as well. We'd love to get uh, your question or comment at uh, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, Access at gmail.com. But I do, in the, in the last... Uh, it's about six minutes. So Jonathan want to get some uh, very quick hits on some of these other things that we promised that we would talk about. Let's begin with I- Iran, just the latest example. And there are many other governments which uh, do uh, crack down periodically on uh, social media, on Internet uh, providers, on Internet sources, because that is how protesters, opposition to the government, right. organizes. And the latest report is from Iran. This is sort of an arms race. Where do you think this is going? It,
1: one thing we have to understand is countries like Iran or, I can't even say North Korea because the only people who have internet in North Korea are government officials, but any country that tends to be more of an authoritarian type, the internet in their country is not built the same way as ours. There's single controlled gateways by the government. The ISPs are government controlled uh, or the phone providers are government controlled. Even if they are a separate company, they're not allowed to operate unless they operate under those that control of the government. So their ability to come in and shut down a site is based on the way those networks were built from the beginning. They were built with control in mind, which is not the nature of the Internet. The nature of the Internet is that if I can't go one direction, I'll find another route. There's lots of different routes for the same thing to occur. Um, It is something that is going to happen, and it's what we have to be very careful about in allowing any centralization of that flow of information which is back to our previous net neutrality topic. While I don't equate the Iranian government and FCC as the same thing, the same worries have to occur when we centralize power over something. There's always the risk that it could be abused. Maybe not now, but what happens in 10 or 15 or 20 years when things change? You have to always, when we when we create something like that where we have a single button that can turn it off, we've got to realize that someday somebody might actually push that. So that's the, wouldn't the governments like Iran use that to control the free flow of information because the free flow of information is an enemy to a repressive regime. Um, I doubt the majority of people in Iran want the type of government they have. They don't really feel like they have a choice. And Internet is something that is allowing people to organize and for the majority of people but who can't express those opinions because of the level of control they have. It lets them have a voice. This is the first thing you're going to do if you're trying to repress something like that is to stop people from being able to organize. And there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, these are, even if they're using US companies, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whoever to do it, they're doing so through a government run ISP uh, and government control of that data. There's nothing we can do about it from a technological perspective, uh, with the exception of, I mean, there's, if you get really. Uh, serious. You can do things, the the internet equivalent of Radio Free America kind of a thing where you're broadcasting into enemy territory. You can do that to a limited extent, uh, but it's a little more difficult with internet type of things because it's not an open broadcast. You have to have control over both sides for the packets to be able to communicate. So there are some limited things you can do in that way with things like balloon-based internet or satellite-based, but it requires a much greater infrastructure than, hey, you need a radio that can tune to this frequency. So there's not a lot we can do about it other than to support those people who are protesting. Um, those people out there are, pro- are protesting a repressive regime. They're protesting the fact that Their, you know, massive economic crisis brought about, you know, partly through sanctions, but the sanctions are there because it's a repressive regime who, you know, has a really bad track record. So not a lot we can say from the technological perspective. They can do it because of the way it was built, how they allowed it in in the first place. Um, I wish it weren't that way, but that's the way it is. And until we have those levers of control taken out of the hands of the government— then there's nothing
0: we can do about it. We just have uh, about a minute left. Um, so a one-minute answer, uh, Jonathan Choate. Uh, this is a, a personal concern of mine: uh, privacy, security of, of of my data. I uh, I talk to friends who say Google is evil. I, I'm not going to participate. I I tell them, um, I I just I've been seduced by the dark side. If that's the case, because the tools are so useful, but I do worry about. Uh, Security of my data and, and and privacy. This is definitely not a one-minute conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I guess what, what should I do? Maybe Give me a couple things I should do. There, there's a couple of things. Myself.
1: One, you're going to have to assume that much of your standard browsing data is being captured by somebody, whether it's an intelligence agency, whether it's Google, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Apple. That data has value, and because it's going over open networks, it's going over, uh, most of the time, free services. You have a Gmail account. It's free. Why is it free? It's free because they're getting something out of it. They're getting, you know, why is Google search free? It's because they're getting something out of it. It's a it's a symbiotic relationship. If you don't like what they're getting out of it, you have to choose not to do it. There are alternatives, but let's face it, they're just not as good Mm-hmm. The reason why Google is so effective is because it mines all of this data. Is there somebody in a room with a bunch of TVs watching what people are doing? Unlikely. I won't say no because I can't, you know, don't know for sure. But that data is mined, it is used. And we have to accept the fact that if I want to use those services, I have to realize that some of that data is going to be captured and is going to be used in order to try to target ads for me. And I'd rather have ads that target me rather than random ads that have nothing to do with me. That being said, always be careful putting information that is too personal. There are many tools out there that can help you. Encryption, uh, using different types of services for different kinds of things so you don't consolidate everything under one company. There are ways that you can limit that exposure,
0: and we don't have time for that today, unfortunately. That's right. As you say, a topic for another time. Uh, Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group and Logan has joined us. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure as always. And thanks to you for responding to the program. Thanks for listening to Access Utah (音楽) music music